Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Avengers, Age of Ultron. Is garbage, folks. Is it an alligator or a crocodile? I don't know the difference, and at this point, I'm too afraid to ask. Look at that. That is a werewolf. <laughs> what is up, everyone? Welcome to Den Geek Presents Marvel Stand Live, where each week we break down the latest and greatest the MCU and Marvel comics have to offer. With me for all time and always, please welcome back Denny Geek TV editor Alec Bajalid and Denny Geek News and Features editor Kirsten Howard. And once again, joining us, we have brilliant pop culture expert, writer, and Denny Geek contributor Joe George. Folks, this is a good vibes only episode because we are breaking down our favorite moments of MCU phase four. Now, the vibes may change next week, but we shall see. <laughs> like for now, we're just focusing on our faves. Everybody's picked three of their favorite moments from MCU Phase 4, which just officially wrapped with the delightful Guardians of the Galaxy holiday special. Do we want to talk about that other cool thing that we just found? Like, or should we just jump right into the, uh, the best MCU Phase 4 moments? What do you think, folks? Are we going to have Kirsty recap the entirety of Phase 4? Yes, that's right. Uh, The 30-minute recap begins now. Yeah, I'll pass. Thank you. (laughs) (laughs) What did Phase 4 begin with? I want to say Black Widow. Was it WandaVision? It was WandaVision. Okay. (laughs) So we are covering everything that has released from WandaVision to the Guardians of the Galaxy holiday special. Let's get right into it. Uh, We will go, what order should we go in? We probably should have discussed this before the show started, but we were all too busy talking about Marvel Snap, to be perfectly honest. Alec, start with your first one. Okay, cool. So we were prompted to select our three favorites, and I don't know if I was supposed to do a particular order, but... If I was, this is my favorite. I'm just going to start right off the bat with my favorite overall. And I've already revealed on this show that it was my favorite. And I made very clear that I wouldn't be deviating from that. Uh, so any of you deep cut Marvel standum heads should know what's coming if you live and die with our every word, which I'm sure there are <laughs> hundreds of you out there that do so. Uh, Tens. My... <laughs> even. Ones. <laughs> zeros one, one might say <laughs> um, my favorite moment of this whole phase is the climactic battle in Doctor Strange and the Multiverse of Madness and speaking more specifically that moment right there that Andrew is queued up the undead 
Marvel superhero is my favorite thing in the world. Uh, we got a little taste of it with the Marvel Zombies episode of What If, but incorporating just an actual moldering corpse into the final act of a major motion picture that's like two plus hours and is the third highest grossing movie of the year is just so awesome to me. I am just decidedly pro corpse in most movies, particularly popcorn movies. I I think like for the most part, what we want out of these movies, at least that's what I want is just generally speaking, cool moments. Uh, And it's hard for me to think of something that is calibrated for me to find more cool than a sorcerer using dark arts to enter into a corpse of himself from an alternate universe while souls of the damned uh, condemn him, but then he just turns them into a cloak and beats his enemy. Um, It's just like a heavy metal album cover of a moment that is just cool to witness, and I had a blast with it. I love that during that, uh, M- Musna is in the comments, like just immediately roasting both me and Kirsty, like about different things. <laughs> she start, she's trying to start shit. <laughs> yes. This is why I don't look at the comments like, while I'm streaming. <laughs> I can't really argue with that. I know that um, the Multiverse of Madness has become a pretty um, polarizing uh, entry in MCU phase four here at Denny geek. I mean, I, I particularly like it, uh, but like that scene is amazing. It's so good. It's, it's, it's just perfectly executed. I love it. I mean, I don't like multiverse of madness, but I love that scene. So I feel like that is a great moment and the best moment of the film easily. And it's just amazing how that successfully followed up a bunch of other also amazing scenes, one of which I'll talk about here in a bit, but you know, you've got, you've got uh, uh, the uh, various Wanda rampages. You've got that musical note battle just before that. And then, then it even goes, gets even cooler with that scene that you're talking about. It's just, you know, Michael Waldron's the best writer of all time. I, I know Kirsty agrees with me on this. So. <laughs> yes. Uh, he seems like a, a lovely gentleman. <laughs> so apparently I'm next. And for me, this is not my number one favorite phase four moment. And my uh, things are not in order because I did not think that far ahead. However, the fight on the scaffolding in uh, Shang-Chi and the Legend of the Ten Rings is one of my favorite bits in MCU phase four. This to me has almost everything I want out of Marvel these days. Like it's not particularly superhero-y. It really is just a great action sequence all around. If I had to like describe the flavor of the MCU overall to somebody who had never seen it, I would kind of be, I would kind of compare it to like the Indiana Jones movies in some ways where there can be like kind of like, eye-popping action scenes that also have a thread of humor through them. And that that fight on the scaffolding definitely does it. Um, you know, Shang-Chi as a whole, would I have slightly preferred if this movie was like scaled back a little bit and felt a little bit more like a street level, you know, martial arts movie at times? Sure. But when I saw this in the theater, the way the crowd was reacting to this scene 
And every time one of those ninjas like took a tumble off of the scaffolding to their doom. And every time like one of the poles broke off and every time somebody almost lost their balance, people were gasping and laughing. And it was just such a good time. I wonder if my perception about this is colored by the fact that this might've been my first kind of like normal experience, normal movie going experience with an audience, you know, post pandemic. And it just made it so much fun. I'll always have like a, like a soft spot for that scene for that reason. Um, but it's great, you know, and I love the fact that it doesn't involve particularly well-known characters. It doesn't involve like, you know, superheroes in costumes or anything like that. It's just a fun five minute dose of violence. And it's great. Yeah. It almost feels like a scene from a Jackie Chan movie just with, with uh, the, the cool stunts, but then also the impro improvisation that's happening where, you know, the, he's using what he can to get it. And like you say, the humor, the, those actual stakes that d don't always happen with Marvel uh, fight scenes. It's just, it's, I don't understand between um, the, the bus scene and then that scene, why those aren't the, 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 the leads for all Marvel action sequences after that. I mean, we, we started out, that's always been an iffy point with Marvel, at least with me, and they, they nailed it there. So we need more of that, please. Joe, I believe right. you are next. Uh, so we're going to stick with the same movie, um, but from the total other end. Uh, my first of the three best moments is the scene in which Wenwu uh, talks about family and names. For those of you that don't know, um, the Mandarin in the comics is a horrible Yellow Peril character. I mean, just one, he, he, he is just every hateful stereotype uh, that kind of comes out of fear, uh, racist fear of Asian countries. And that's why for, for Iron Man 3, when they make uh, Mandarin a joke character, one hand a joke character, the other hand explicitly the result of American propaganda, I thought that was the only way you could handle this character. And also in the comics, Shang-Chi's uh, father is literally Fu Manchu, that, literally that character, Marvel, um, uh, got the rights to work him into uh, the story. And so the, 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 the producers uh, uh, of Shang-Chi really had an uphill battle. They solved it in part by casting one of the greatest actors in the entire world, Tony Leung, as, uh, as Wen Wu. And he just, on the one hand, this scene is, is, is an exposition jump, dump that explains you know, his character, his relationship to the Iron Man character and so on. But he breathes so much empathy and life in this moment. The, the, he gives like this little half smile right after he tells uh, Katie, uh, uh, Aquafina's character, names are important. And it's so humanizing. And when he gets to the part where he says, you know, they named me after a chicken dish, it, it plays, it's a joke. But the way he delivers the line, it feels like he's, you can feel his hurt, you know, that that this this regal character with all of this rich tradition is diminished into a stereotype. And it's, it's at the same time, Marvel critiquing, calling out their own uh, racist stories, which happens when you have mostly white people writing your stories, and also blazing a whole new path for for not only the character, but for Shang-Chi and, and just 
Marvel in general. It's just a masterful moment. Turns out Tony's a good actor. Yeah, who knew? That was talk when leading up to that. Yeah, I was, I was when when the casting came out, and I knew a bunch of younger people who had no idea who he was. It was like, oh, you guys just wait. In fact, here, yeah. borrow my in the mood for love, and and come back, and you will see. This is amazing because you know they're like, well, who's this guy? I've never heard of him. I'm like, oh, oh no, <laughs> you're missing out. When the rumors doing the round recently that um he's going to be in Squid Game season two. Oh wow. Um, yeah, so my best phase four moment um, is not as, as thoughtful as Joe's by any stretch. <laughs> it's pretty much just uh, uh, two pretty ladies flirting. The Kate and Yelena elevator fight scene um, in the Hawkeye finale. I honestly think this is one of the best two-person moments in the whole MCU, not just phase four. Uh, first of all, both those ladies look incredible. In that scene just phenomenal and his hair is so weird and intricate she's got this dark lipstick on and following on from there a long conversation over the mac and cheese earlier in the series she and kate have bonded a little and there's kind of a romantic undercurrent going on i don't want to be the one to say that because it's a bit crass but it's true uh yeah yelena is just like on her casual mission to kill clint and kate is earnestly trying to stop it happening um the way they chat back and forth uh yelena's exhausted by kate and her sweet attitude um the way she just like slaps kate's hand away from pressing the elevator buttons uh, Yelena's uh, trying not to physically engage with Kate because she likes her and kind of use more restrained moves and then Kate slaps her in the face and the shock on both their faces is, is just priceless like oh I guess it's on um, but Yelena's just still vaguely annoyed because she's been through so much and considers herself a professional um, then suddenly Kate's pressing all the elevator buzz- buttons like Buddy the Elf like belting along through the offices afterwards swiping each other like Kate's still trying to reason with Yelena asking her out for a drink and there's just a lot of chemistry a lot of tension so much and between hitting each other they're complimenting one another too like uh stop making me like you and Yelena's just so smooth with sorry I can't help it like it's just perfect I love the vibe between them this is a phase four peak for me um yeah, I just I just think it's a really fun scene. It's just full of electricity and chemistry, and we don't we don't always see that in the MCU. It always feels a bit damp and down, and the edges are quite kind of sanded off. But the these two gals are so just phenomenal actresses that that they you know they're young and they're they're full of energy, and it really you know jumps off the screen. So uh, yeah, I had a great time. Cannot argue with any of that. Yeah. Um, I also, I'm, I'm realizing now that I miss Kate Bishop. I just miss her like an old friend. What is the holiday season without episodes of Hawkeye right now, <laughs> folks? Alec, I believe you're up again. Wow, feels like we just I just went. <laughs> We're keeping this snappy uh, this week, folks. You know, so this this may seem like a kind of tongue in cheek answer, and it, it is, um, but it's also just more of an excuse to me to talk about how much I love WandaVision. But to isolate one moment from WandaVision, uh, for me, one of my favorite Marvel moments in Phase Four was discovering that WandaVision considers Malcolm in the Middle a classic sitcom. Because to be extremely clear, it's right. But I did not expect that the writers behind WandaVision would realize that because Malcolm in the Middle is like tragically underrated in TV history. 
Um, it's a phenomenal show, like an all-time classic sitcom. And when I remember when the trailer came out for this, and you got we saw like kind of this aesthetic. Well, not this because that would have been a, probably a giveaway with the video recorder. <laughs> um, but I, I thought they were doing Roseanne um, just because of like the lower middle class outfits and the '90s, early 2000s of it all. Um, but I was so delighted to discover they did Malcolm in the Middle homage. And if not in the Malcolm in the Middle episode, which is six, the Halloween episode, but later on, it actually flashes back to um, Wanda looking through, watching some of her old DVDs. And at that point, Brian, the existence of Brian Cranston becomes canon in the MCU. Was Malcolm in the Middle's first season, did that coincide with, with Family Guy's first season as well? Was that like kind of Fox's like second act in, in the late 90s there? I may have. Let me look it up. So Malcolm in the Middle's 2000, January 2000, and Family Guy is 99. Okay. December 99. The, the five oh, minutes no, no. when Family Guy was actually watchable? Oh, no, <laughs> January. So it was exactly one year before. I have seen zero, zero episodes of Malcolm in the Middle. Do I, do I need to leave yeah. now? It's zero. a delight. I mean, like, I think if anything, just watch any two random episodes, and I think you'll be taken back at how, like, modern it feels. Like, in yeah. a lot of ways, because it breaks the fourth wall. Like, it came before the um, mockumentary style got popular, but it feels like it kind of informed that a bit. And it's just really funny and, like, weirdly class conscious. Like, they're always so, so poor. They never have money to do absolutely anything. I don't know that I want to see that part of my life reflected on television. <laughs> <laughs> so my next one, and again, we're not going in order. However, if this, if I, if we were going in order, if we were ranking these, like personally, this would be my number one. And it is the car chase in Hawkeye episode three which was for me the highlight of that entire series, which was full of highlights, but just nothing got me like, like that episode. Um, everything about it. This is a well-executed, like badass car chase in the vein of, you know, Bullet and the French Connection. And it's hilarious. And it is a perfect showcase for you know, the weird chemistry that Haley Steinfeld and, and Jeremy Renner had. And it is another example of Kate Bishop being amazing. And I watched this like multiple times the week it came out. Like I just loved everything about it. And it's one of those things that comes directly from an issue of the comics, you know, like it was very much an homage to a particular issue of Hawkeye, you know, this whole series took, took a lot of inspiration from that comics run, but like, this was great. It was exactly the way I wanted to see it on screen. I don't know what else could be said about this. There needs to be more old school action like this in the MCU. You know, it kind of goes off of what I was saying about that Shang-Chi scene as well, where it's like, this is not a superhero thing. This is just a well executed action scene I want more of them. I want them all the time. Um, and just a quick honorable mention, this was the same episode that the closing credits needle drop was a really loud uh, Sammy Davis Jr. Sweet Gingerbread Man, which is just like an all-time like holiday deep cut. So just more love for Hawkeye, please. I miss this show. I, I want more Christmas Hawkeye shows. Yeah, this whole discussion is making me really want to rewatch that show. I mean, and... and yeah. Almost entirely for 
for Kate Bishop, but yeah, that's might not be the last time we talk about Hawkeye. <laughs> well, we're not going to talk about it now because I'm taking over. <laughs> so my second pick is uh, the uh, family reunion dinner in Black Widow. Uh, Black Widow, I feel like, is the one of the more underrated uh, uh, MCU movies, and, and it, you know, it does have problems. It has terrible, MC, uh, terrible CGI, and I don't think this is Scarlett Johansson's best performance in the whole. And we'll talk about this later, I believe. But um, uh, uh, Ray Winstone, what in the world is he doing? But when you get over that sort of stuff, it it, it has Florence Pugh, who we've already talked about, who is just magnetic as Yelena. Uh, you've got David Harbour in there. And especially this scene, what I like best about Marvel movies isn't the action or really even now just the thrill of seeing characters I've loved for decades show up on the big screen. It's that they've got so much personality and fundamentally, I just, I want to see my friends together. And this scene was that, that character-driven storytelling in the MCU at its best, where the characters come together and uh, they, they, they get to be themselves and figure out what it means to go from what they thought was a biological family to creating the sort of chosen family in all of its authentically fa familial messiness, you know, where you've got Red Guardian being a buffoon, you've got uh, Black Widow being uh, 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 bitter about the whole thing, and then Yelena's whole breakdown um, <laughs> it has... Uh, uh, it has emotional and thematic resonance. So, Joe, you're both of yours so far are people eating dinner. I, I'm a hungry man. I don't know what to tell you. <laughs> <laughs> okay, well, those of you who are in the trenches with us um, on Moon Knight will probably know what I'm about to say because we talked about this a lot in the in our finale of midnight episode um my second pick for best phase four moment is jake lockley kicking harrow's wheelchair away <laughs> in, in the limo during moon knight's post-credit scene i have a really silly sense of humor uh to put it into context like one of my favorite movies is freddie got fingered which is like one of the most panned movies of all time um i just love stuff that goes through stupid and out the other side um, Jake uh, kicking Harry's wheelchair is just so unnecessary and problematic. I can only imagine it was improvised. Like Jake has just killed a bunch of innocent people in cold blood inside that hospital. But this extra touch of just how little he gives a shit about anybody somehow seals the deal in a way that all the bloodshed doesn't. It's hard to explain, honestly. Like, I didn't love the way that Moon Knight handled Jake overall. He felt like an excuse to edit around the fights in that show uh, that were Disney Plus, Disney Plus friendly. But I can't really argue with the post credit scene. It does set up the, like, abominable third personality. Um, although Jake can be a real asshole in the comics, they really went the extra mile with the little MCU characterization they did do. And that unnecessary wheelchair kick is somehow the cherry on top. And once again, I cannot explain it. The whole scene just lets you know that if we see Moon Knight again, and I'm sure Mike is praying that we won't, but that he will be a much more dangerous individual. You will see me in the MCU before we see <laughs> Moon Knight again, folks. <laughs> like mark it down. I mean, you live in New York. You probably are in the MCU. <laughs> <laughs> Look, I am. We are coming to you live from our studio in Hell's Kitchen, folks. The Denny Geek office 
is actually in Hell's Kitchen, New York. So, you know, you're not that far off. Speaking of traumatized New Yorkers, that leads into my final clip. One of my favorite moments from this phase and really um, any phase thus far is seeing the bathroom graffiti Thanos was right in Hawkeye. First of all, it's it's legitimately like funny uh, right off the top because um, just like <laughs> just scrawled bathroom graffiti usually is. Uh, but it's such like a, a really like surprisingly depthful way of addressing the trauma that the everybody in the MCU just went through. Because um, like for all its faults, uh, the Marvel Cinematic Universe is usually is almost always very good about um, recognizing continuity between films and creating like a lived in breathable universe. Um, they never shy away from the fact that this intre- incredibly messed up thing happened when Thanos wiped away half the world and they address it in virtually every movie and TV show that comes after it. But this is my favorite version of it by far because it's so quick. It's so quippy and it just like really captures just like, the frustrated impotence of somebody in the MCU. Like imagine what goes through the guy's head. <laughs> like, what, what is somebody going through in that bathroom at that moment? What kind of uh, loss of humanity and frustration would one have to just jot down Thanos was right about eliminating half the universe. Um, I just love that little graffiti and it gets Hawkeye off to such a strong start. There's so much going on on Jeremy Renner's face and in his eyes when he's looking at it too. Like he, he's been through so much. He's lost his best friend. You know, he lost his wife and kids for years, but he kind of looks at that graffiti and kind of goes, well, they've got a point. Yeah. It's a great moment, isn't it? And contextually it's right after we saw a musical. So he's like in hell. Like, <laughs> <laughs> Oh, it's on me again. Is it? Okay. So, I will say that this moment was almost supplanted by, I don't know what Christmas is, but Christmas time is here. I think history is going to be kind to Wakanda forever because of Namor and Namor's introduction in Wakanda forever with that weird siren song that his soldiers do like to lure uh, everybody off of the rig there is incredible. That is such an eerie moment. And eerie is not a word we usually associate with the MCU. Like the idea, you know, like, look, it plays into, you know, old, you know, myths about mermaids and how they would lure sailors to their doom on the rocks. Well, here, we know what the MCU origin of that is, and it is with the people of Talokan as Atuma and Namora and their soldiers make their grand entrance. And it is such a smart way to establish them. And it is such a cool little detail, much like the Thanos was right graffiti, like that makes you under, that puts other things way, way, way in the background of the MCU, just into like, casts them in a new light and it's just it's terrific um it's one of my favorite moments in that movie it's one of my favorite moments of mcu phase four and it genuinely might be one of my favorite bits of world building in the mcu as a whole i just had to find a way to express some namor love here namor is going to be so important to the mcu going forward 
uh, cannot think of a better way to introduce that character and these concepts than just that quick little two minute bit there. I, I feel like Namor is a hard sell for, for people at first, you know, because he's got, and, and I think all these things are awesome to be clear, but he's got the, uh, you know, the wings on his ankles and he's in his underpants and, and that sort of stuff. And, and if you don't have like that history with the character, I could see that falling flat. And that scene is so, he is so scary in that moment. Um, and it's so unnerving when the siren starts singing. And, and then when he throws that, the, the chopper, I was like, awesome. It was such a perfect way that everybody then understood the, the, the stakes of who this guy was and why it matters. Yeah, awesome. Oh, I'm so glad you mentioned both of those, uh, Mike, because I, I had the exact same thing, where both that moment and the old 97 song in the Christmas special were we're almost on there and, and I didn't want to uh, uh, throw things off. So I, they could have bumped out my, my last one, but for my last one, I needed to do something that was a little bit more traditionally fun. And so my last pick is when Scarlet Witch murders all the special guest stars. In <laughs> because, you know, I went into that movie. Um, only thing I really wanted out of, I went into it more of a Sam Raimi fan than a Marvel fan. Um, and I just, I wanted Sam Raimi to make a Sam Raimi movie and it felt like that mostly, but both of those things converged in the moment when all of the special guest stars show up. I mean, and I, to be clear, I like most of them. In fact, the only one I didn't like is, uh, Mr. Fantastic because come on, if you know anything about Mr. Fantastic, you do not want John Krasinski to be playing him. That was terrible casting. So, but besides that, I was excited to see them all. I was even excited to see Black Bolt. But then for her to destroy them all, it, it's, it's such a glorious scene. And, and you know, I, I agree with those who say that Multiverse of Madness did Scarlet Witch badly, but Elizabeth Olsen just tears into those scenes. And she is so powerful and so cool. And, and I cannot believe that the MCU went, that so, went so far as to blow up Black Bolt's head. So cool, so much fun. Um, I would love to see any of those characters return again, as, as long as somebody else is playing Mr. Fantastic, but that moment was delightful. Do you not like John Krasinski as Mr. Fantastic, Joe? No! Why would anybody <laughs> like that? It's terrible. <laughs> Mr. Fantastic has to be aloof. You know, he's got to be, so, he's not cruel, but he's up in his head all the time. And Krasinski's just trying to be warm? Mr. Fantastic's not warm? That, 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 Defeats the whole purpose of the character. I just, yeah. Anyway. Who would you cast as Mr. Fantastic? John Cho would be my first. Uh, Who? John Cho. Oh, John Cho. Ooh, wow. Yeah, he would be yes. my first pick. That wasn't original with me. Somebody else pointed that out. But he's, I think he's got that perfect, you know, up inside of his head without being cruel. And he's so good at playing stillness, which I think is something that's necessary for that character. So that would be my top pick, which means it won't happen. But we're talking good vibes here. So <laughs> yes. blowing up heads. Awesome. <laughs> All right, Kirsty. Okay. My last pick for best faceful moment is Ray Winstone's accent in Black Widow. <laughs> um, yeah, I did say best, not worst. Deal with it. Spanning my pheromones that prevents you from committing violence against me. This may not become a knowledge out in the US but Ray Winston has done quite a few bad accents over the years 
Um, and all of them are deliciously bad. Like, it always seems like he really shouldn't even attempt an accent, that someone should have stopped him, you know, every time. But they just didn't. They just went with it. And God bless them. Like when I heard he was going to be the villain in Black Widow, I prayed he would be doing an unnecessary accent because I knew whatever he tried to do was going to make me laugh so hard. Um, this is a deep cut, but many years ago, Adam Buxton and Joe Cornish also had fun with Ray's accents. And uh, it's uh, one of the hardest, like I've laughed in my life. Um, I hope they enjoyed this one, which I can only assume is supposed to be Russian uh, as much as I did. And I hope Ray has many more bad accents in him for us to enjoy in the future. <laughs> I don't know if this is an example of uh, Ray Winston bad accent, but I remember uh, I never even saw the movie, but the trailer was so prevalent when he was in Beowulf. He was the voice of Beowulf, like the animated film. Um, and then like it was just something that me and my brother would quote to each other constantly because the trailers were everywhere. He like it would always end with him going, I am Beowulf. <laughs> he just walk out that he's Beowulf. I'm like, all right, dude, you're Beowulf. Like, I got it. Um, so that's that's my Ray Winston <laughs> moment. Code Monkey just pointed out, hey, Sean Bean dies and Ray does bad accents. <laughs> <laughs> that is the official Marvel standum ranking of our 12 favorite MCU phase four moments, with a couple of honorable mentions that we had to sneak in, right? But we will be back next week for a questionable vibes episode because we're going to be talking about the worst moments of MCU phase four. Uh, so that's going to be a ride folks. Uh, any closing thoughts before we say goodbye? Muslim is asking why there was no Ms. Marvel on this. And that is because there is no one moment of Ms. Marvel. Ms. Marvel just as a whole was six episodes of delightful. Uh, like that is yeah, that's ultimately. Half. Yeah. <laughs> like that's basically like my rationale here. Uh, it's like, like that was six hours of delightful. It would be, uh, it would be too much to recount them here. Uh, there is a cool, bit of a uh, kind of a marketing spoiler that has made its way out there for Ant-Man and the Wasp. Uh, we got our first look at MODOK in the MCU and it's pretty cool for folks who do not know, this is the mechanized organism designed only for killing and nothing else. Um, and uh, he's like one of Jack Kirby's wildest, creations and it looks like they're kind of taking a neat slightly different uh, approach to the usual kind of just like floating ridiculous head here uh <laughs> what 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 does everybody think of this and what are our theories for who is actually playing modok well i got to i'm i know this is the good vibes episode but i got to agree with lee there that it's not a human face we're we're to the point where we can do crazy things and bring in crazy characters in in uh in MCU movies. And I gotta admit, I'm kind of bummed that it's it's kind of a robot thing. I mean, I I I, I don't know that I wanna uh, given the recent record of Marvel VFX and the way that they treat their artists, that I really wanna see, you know, a human head or something closer to the comics, but uh, I don't I'm I'm a little bit disappointed. Sorry. 
I've heard speculation that like Bill Murray's character is who becomes Modoc, and the idea of something that ridiculous, just like having like really dry Bill Murray dialogue, is certainly interesting to me because that's not ever how I've heard Modoc's voice in my head. But um, I think you know, look, I think most people should seek help if you're hearing Modoc's voice in your head in general. So, <laughs> Alec is. Is is Modoc just like a comic book bridge too far for you, bro? Is this just like? Uh, yeah, I mean, you would think it would be like <laughs> you would think. I really have no idea what you're talking about. Um, but he Modoc got a Hulu show. He got that that claymation animated uh, Hulu show, which is pretty good. I watched a few episodes, and I heard it only got better. I do like that design. It looks kind of fun and, and interesting. I, I like what they did with it. It looks just like a fun toy, honestly. Um, but I will agree with Joe that we are at the point where the MCU really should be going for it. As we've discussed, I feel like this whole episode, we've talked about a lot of bold swings they've taken. I mean, like I mean, less than 30 minutes ago, I was talking about the souls of the damned wrapping around Doctor Strange. Um, it, that feels like not too far away from just putting a weird little human guy with like stubby arms and legs in a tank. Like that does not seem like a bridge too far anymore. Um, so I'm, I'm I'm disappointed on that front, but I will allow that that it does look pretty cool. I think that is it for this week's episode of Marvel Standing Live. Am I correct? I think I am. Anyway, folks, don't forget to follow us. You might be watching us live right now on Twitch. Hit that subscribe button, folks. We are also now broadcasting to YouTube and Facebook simultaneously. And also, if you came in late. You can check those episodes out on our YouTube, on our Facebook, over at denigeek.com slash Marvel, where, we where all of our Marvel coverage lives. Don't forget to tune in for our upcoming live panel discussions about the worst of MCU Phase 4, our annual Christmas quiz, which Kirsty has apparently engineered solely to roast and vex me, <laughs> and much more. Uh, make sure you are following us on Instagram. You'll note that I am saying that before Twitter these days because, well, who knows what's going to happen with that. But we are at Marvel Standom. Please give us a follow. Drop us a line. Let us know what you want us to cover in upcoming episodes in 2023. Uh, we're going to do a lot more kind of fun stuff like this when there aren't shows happening. So I think there's some cool stuff. Also, if you have not checked out some of our Marvel Standom special edition episodes where I interviewed the writers of the current Captain America comics, which are awesome, by the way, and Cody Ziegler about the brand new Miles Morales Spider-Man series and the amazing Spider-Punk book that just wrapped. Check those out, too. We're going to have a big year in 2023, and we're not even done with 2022 yet. So thank you all for watching. Thank you to Andrew Halley. As usual, the best producer out there who kept us in line despite us being even more uh, disorganized than usual, mostly because I've been spending all my downtime playing Marvel Slap. Uh, thanks to Marvel Denny Social Media Coordinator Lee Marvel, Marvel Slap. Sorry, folks. Like, I'm, I'm, I, like, I'm, I'm running out of gas today. Lee, it's good to see you in the comments, keeping everybody in line again. We miss you, buddy. Get well soon. Uh, go follow our TikTok at Denny Geek TV. Lee has built that with his bare hands, and we're going to have some cool stuff over there, too. And as usual, special shout out to Michael R., who makes the podcast version of this show all it can be. And most of all, thank you all for watching, listening, following, subscribing. You know the drill. 
This has been Marvel Standom on the Den Geek Network. Until next time, remember, folks, we stand together.